Welcome to Down in the Den. It's your host, Mars, and we are back again with today's episode. And today is a very special episode, a very serious episode. We are going to be talking with specialist Joshua Shea. He is a porn addiction expert, a TED Talk speaker, certified betrayal coach, author, and educator. Joshua, welcome to the Den. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, and I want to thank you very much for uh, exposing me to your listenership, Mars. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I, I think uh, in this pandemic, what you teach and what you educate on is extremely important. So we're going to have fun, as always, as we do in the den, but this is going to be a serious episode. So I'm just happy that you are able to carve a little bit of time out so we can chat. But before we begin and we start talking about your profession and everything, how's this pandemic been treating you? How, how has everything been treating you so far? Uh, you know, I, I feel a little guilty when people ask me this question because I started working from home back in probably June, not yeah, June or July of 2014. So oh, wow. I had like six years on everybody and I'm a natural introvert anyway, I think at the core so what was interesting was the fact that i had had six years of practice so when everything shut down i don't go to the grocery store anyway i don't i'm not out working every day i you know i i like restaurants i guess but i work from home i always have it didn't change my homework uh so i kind of had a front row seat for watching society completely lose its head but I was okay because not much not much about my life actually changed. It was more about dealing with everybody else mm. who had never been home for a year before. Yeah, no, I, I think we're in similar boats. Um, we went home and really, I'm same. I'm an introvert. I am a satisfied, beautiful kitty. I am satisfied. You may see, you may see a lot of them, so I'm just hey, warning well, you. Uh, my uh, audience, my uh, dog just passed on the 23rd, but my audience oh, always sorry. been Charlie. Uh, thank you. Charlie was my co-host, so I, I'm dog sitting right now, kind of my emotional support dog. He's uh, on the ground right now, but I, I love it. I love it. But uh, so one thing uh, that we always ask, I always say all heroes don't work, wear capes. But I always ask, what's your origin story? How did you get into this profession and finding your calling? Well, it all started the day that I was bit by a spider. Um, you too? You, you too? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no, no. Uh, I was born on Krypton. Uh, I, uh, my origin story is pretty textbook. You know, I, uh, I'm in this field because I am a recovering porn addict. And I, you know, I was uh, abused both sexually and, and mentally slash emotionally at the hands of a babysitter for many years when I was a little kid. I did the little kid thing of kind of just stuffing it down and not dealing with it. When I was 12 years old, I was shown hardcore pornography for the first time. And uh, at that point, um, I was hooked. I People talk about developing a, a an addiction. I was literally hooked after 30 seconds of seeing it. I can't tell you what was on the screen. I can't, or I'm sorry, what was on the page of that magazine. I can't tell you what the name of the magazine even was. But I remember this warm feeling coming over me. I remember this feeling of almost safety, of I'm going to be okay. And from there, um, about two years later, 
I got drunk for the first time. And when people say to me that uh, that addiction is, uh, or porn addiction isn't real, I tell you, I was, I was hooked on alcohol 30 seconds after getting drunk. I suddenly realized, oh, this is why people use this stuff. And then from that point forward, from the age of about 14 years old to 37, when I got my act together and entered recovery, I was using alcohol and pornography as a crutch, um, no matter what was going on in my life, whether I was in high school or college or early in my career or, or the later stages, whether I was dating somebody, living alone, married, or have kids, it didn't matter. No matter what was going on in my life, the two constants, the two things I could count on were pornography and alcohol. And that was my life for so long. Um, eventually, uh, after kind of a professional implosion um, and just a whole lot of other stuff going on, um, there was essentially an intervention, uh, you know, and a... Uh, I, I acquiesced and said I would go to rehab uh, for alcohol first out in California because I honestly didn't know porn addiction was a thing. Right. Um, I thought I thought I'd go out to California four weeks to get my little certificate so everybody would just shut up and leave me alone. And after about a week, it dawned on me, oh my goodness, I am exactly the alcoholic that they're talking about. I am exactly the person that is supposed to come to rehab. So I wasn't there four weeks. I ended up being there 10 weeks uh, because I really embraced the program. And in the last four or five weeks I was there, my caseworker um, had a good friend who was a certified sex addiction therapist who also worked in the same town. Uh, well, this was Palm Springs. And uh, I started meeting with that gentleman. And he made me realize fairly quickly that I had a pornography addiction, that it predated the alcohol addiction, and that in a lot of ways it was actually worse. Um, and it, cause it involved a, so much more trauma than the alcohol did. Um, and that, that was really super eye opening to me. Um, I came back home, uh, here to Maine where I live, did very intense therapy for the next 10 months. I did as much reading about addiction I, as I could. Um, I wanted to learn whatever I could, but the only place I could learn about, uh, you know, real addiction was in academic texts. Uh, medical journals because there was nothing out there for people. Right. So I, I actually, uh, I actually decided to go to an inpatient rehab for sex and porn addiction, even though it was a year after the fact of me using porn for the last time. I went there and did a very deep dive with the trauma. Uh, did a deep dive, understanding where some of my most basic, you know, instincts. You know, are you a fight or flight guy? Well, I thought I was one, turned out I was the other, and I didn't even know freeze was an option. And either. <laughs> and a fight, flight, or freeze is, is the full thing. And uh, it was one of these, it was so enlightening when I got home. Um, I decided that I should write my autobiography because there was nothing for the average dude about porn addiction. And so I ended up writing my book, uh, came out in 20, my first book came out in 2018. And I thought that would be my only contribution to the world when it came to porn addiction. What shocked me was how many girlfriends and wives got in touch with me to say, oh my God, you can get over this. I didn't realize that. 
how do I get my husband to come o- go over this? And it's like, well, you don't. You you could be part of a process, but you don't. But and then the next, well, okay, but why was I not enough for him? Why was I not pretty enough? Was I not good in bed? Was I not the partner he needed? You know, with emotional support. Why did he go looking on those you know computer screens and and you know that's when I was like, you know, this is this is interesting stuff because. Uh, the wives, the girlfriends, the the boyfriends, the husbands, the partners of addicts, heroin addicts, gambling addicts, food addicts, they don't ask themselves if they're the problem. They don't ask themselves if they're not enough. But with uh, sex addicts, with porn addicts, their partners do ask themselves that. And that seems so sad that they do that because it has nothing to do with them so um, I started doing a lot more research in that area. My second book was written with a uh, licensed marriage and family therapist, and it was directly for the partners of porn addicts. And that book did very, very well and kind of propelled me to doing all these interviews and, and going into coaching. And, you know, now I hear, here I am today. I've got a, I wrote a third book about pornography during the pandemic that came out last year. And I have a fairly uh, full coaching schedule, um, helping both porn addicts and those partners who are going through betrayal trauma. Um, I I do branch out a bit and I do just general trauma as well. Uh, And uh, then nice people like you asked me to come on their podcast and tell my story. So, so I do. And that's where my life is today. It's, it's, I am more, consumed and more communicative about pornography than I ever ever was back when I looked at it Um, but it's just one of these things where people don't recognize that this little taboo thing that was always there for you know generations and and centuries really if you go back and look through history with the introduction of high-speed internet uh, about 15 years ago it absolutely changed the uh, it changed the world, and we're just learning what that meant when it came to pornography. And it's now time to share that data, talk about it, not shame people, not embarrass people, drop the taboos, and and hopefully educate people. You know, I always say I'm not anti-pornography. I am pro-healthy sexuality. That's what we could be. We're never going to get rid of pornography. Go to any muse. Go to any museum. Billion dollar and multi-billion dollar industry. Well, but it's, it's not, it's not just it's well, but it's not just that. Go to a museum and go to their ancient you know relics section, and you will find you know Egyptian pottery with some of the most X-rated stuff painted on it. You can go look at cave paintings in you know Mesopotamia and some of these places. There's pornography on the walls. The Kama Sutra is how old? And it's the sex guide from India. You know, it's it, it's always going to be out there. Sexuality is a completely normal, healthy, good thing. The only reason you're here and the only reason I'm here is because even if we want to pretend it didn't happen, our parents got together one night and they got busy doing things we want to pretend they didn't do. It was and a stork. It was a stork. Yes, yes. And we are the result and we are wonderful things so sexuality is a wonderful thing it's just like anything else 
there needs to be an instruction manual and every once in a while you have to update that instruction manual for new technology and we now in 2021 have to be cognizant of the role of pornography how much it's out there and what it can do to people in worst case scenarios well number one thank you so much for sharing your story i think particularly for males uh when it comes to sex we're not given the tools at all uh it's get as much as you can um if you are abused by an older woman you get frowned upon for telling you're like well why did you tell if it was me so thank you first of all for your bravery and and sharing your story and you've brought up so many good points especially with the technology uh when i was i'm 40 years old and when i was a young man if i wanted to see a video i had to get a membership card and go into a creepy room and hope nobody i knew that, saw me always had the saloon doors that right were swinging. oh yeah yeah and then there's cameras and god forbid you see someone in the room you know and then oh, they, yeah. you know, it's, it was strange and then with the internet it was right there and now it's on your phone and now it's everywhere you can go you can youtube it and it and it's so it hasn't been a full generation of exposure to this new technology no god knows what it's doing to the mentality of the youth but uh when i announced on my site that we were going to have you on i got an influx of questions from uh, the demates that are being impacted so joshua are you ready to answer some questions absolutely all right so this first question that came in anonymous and it says my man has been addicted to watching porn every night since this pandemic began. He is now asking me to do some of the things he sees. I am not with down with that at all. Is there any hope he can change? So I, I guess that's a very uh, specific question. Is there any yeah, hope? No, it's, it's, hope, it's, 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 well, uh, it's a good question. Because the first thing, when a lot of times uh, when I talk to a, a man um, for or an addict for the first time, or I, I talk to a wife who wants to refer me. One of the things that we have to look at is, is are they actually an, an addict? You know, that, that's one thing is just because you hate pornography or just because you don't want to do certain sex things doesn't make him an addict. Um, you know, there, there's specific criteria that an addict has to hit. Now, if this is happening every day during the pandemic, I would say this certainly is a habit. And with any habit, there's a reward, there's an incentive, and he's getting some kind of reward or incentive in his mind from watching this. Yes, this could become an addiction, and and maybe it already is, but I I, I urge you to not jump to the conclusion that that it is an addiction. Um, As for the the sexual acts you don't want to do, don't do them. That's not pro-healthy sexuality. Here's the thing. Uh, My sexuality as an individual, whether it's conservative or liberal, whether it's kinky and crazy or totally missionary position with our underpants on, um, it, it, it doesn't really matter when it comes to my partner. I need to know what my partner's preferences are. I need to know what their tastes are. And I need to know where their lines are. You know, if, if, my, you know, partner, you know, I, I, I could be the person who's most into, you know, oral sex in the world. If my partner is not, we are not doing that. 
you should never force somebody to do something they don't like. The idea of somebody doing something because they love you is emotional blackmail. It's mm. just kind of gross when you think about it. Now, if you're with somebody who you are sexually incompatible with, and if sexual incompatibility is a deal breaker for you, then don't be with them. But your individual healthy sexuality is not what the couple's healthy sexuality is. A couple's healthy sexuality is something that needs to be communicated. It's something that needs to be talked about, even negotiated in some ways. Um, that's when you're going to, and, and when you can, can communicate and when you talk about it, you'll actually find it's better, even if you're not doing as much crazy stuff, because there's a level of emotional intimacy that wasn't there. And if you think just, you know, uh, the, the, the genitals banging together feels good, it actually feels so much better when there's an emotional connection too. Um, so that, that's what I'd say there. You've got two issues. Number one, is he really an addict? And number two, you do not cross any boundaries you don't want to. And if he's the kind of guy that will leave you because you won't do A, B, or C, he can go find a woman who will do A, B, or C. Um, don't, you, you'll hate yourself if you do. Anonymous, that was a uh, fantastic, fantastic answer. Joshua, you're absolutely right. Consent is key, guys. Uh, don't do anything you don't want to do. Uh, once again, sexuality, unless you're alone, is not an individual sport. So, you know, make sure that all parties involved are all in agreement, all on the same page. So we have another question in here. Uh, this one from, oh, she gave her name. Okay, so this one from Jill. I won't give her last name, but Jill. I'm Christian, and I discovered tons of porn on my husband's phone. Jill, why are you looking at his phone? I believe this is a sin and cheating. Is watching porn cheating? Mm. If you say it is. Mm. Cheating is an opinion, not really a fact. Um, if, you know, cheating is going behind... For me, cheating is going behind uh, my partner's back and doing something sexually that I need to hide. And, you know, there are there are couples who have open marriages who totally don't care about that kind of stuff. Is that cheating for them? I don't think so, because it's open. All. Cheating is about secrets. And uh, I think that if you, if, if he is uh, doing something that you don't like in a sexual way and you feel like you're being betrayed or violated, then it is cheating. If it's cheating to you, it's cheating. You know, just because I know my, we both go through the same car accident. I come out of it a Trump traumatic mess. You come out of it fine. Doesn't mean something different happened to us. People react in different ways. People have different opinions. People experience things differently. Um, if you view this as cheating, it's cheating. So there you go. So then it becomes, you know, is this guy actually an addict again? Because here's the funny thing that when, when I, uh, or probably ironic is a better word, when I uh, coach women whose husbands genuinely have a porn addiction, um, one of the things I say immediately is, you know, from an emotional point of view, you may actually objectively intellectually be less freaked out that he's an addict because what's the alternative the alternative is he's just a bad partner 
If you tell your partner, I hate pornography, I'm morally against pornography, I believe it's a sin, I, I don't want my partner looking at it because I believe that's cheating against me, I believe it goes against the words of what I believe, whatever God or religion that is, I can't have that. If this person thinks you're a the partner for them, if this person values your opinion you know, more than naked guys and girls on a computer screen, they will listen to you. Um, however, if they're an addict, they'll keep looking because addiction, addiction doesn't take place in the crotch. It takes place between the ears. Addiction mm. is a, addiction is a disease of the mind. However, if he doesn't have addiction and he's looking at porn all the time, he's just a guy who doesn't care what you think. And then you're left to ask yourself other questions about him not caring what you think that don't have to do with with addiction. You know, why does does he want to be with other women? Is does he not like sex with you? What's going on there? And I tell the the partners of addicts, you know, you're almost lucky in that we can say this is a brain disease. With the other woman, you may just have picked the wrong guy, and you either have to adapt your opinion. Or you need, or you need to, you know, put a boundary in place with a strong, uh, uh, I don't want to say punishment, but a strong repercussion if he crosses the line. Um, or you just get rid of him and find somebody who does meet your needs in that way. If that is a breaking point, if that is a non-negotiable, if that is a big thing, you need to treat it as such if you're going to uh, have a fulfilling life. And only you can make sure you have a fulfilling life. It's not about him. It's about you, your mental health, your self-care. Take care of yourself and then you'll find that and, and be true to yourself and be genuine to yourself. And a lot of these answers will make themselves obvious. That That is gospel right there. And, and I think right now we are in a good place or better place in society where therapy, mental health, uh, awareness of mental health has become more in the forefront. We've seen athletes recently drop out of the Olympics for their mental health or well, tennis games out of mental health. So I think that's key and crucial. And I am I am so proud of both Naomi Osaka and yeah. Simone Biles. And, you know, if people are watching this years from now, you know, I think they're still going to know about this. They're still going to remember this. I think that Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles will long outlive their athletic careers as being these women, these pioneers who stepped up and said, you know what? I've worked my whole life for a medal. I've worked my whole life for a championship. And you know what? Feeling okay as a human is better than this metal cup or this tin disc you want me to win. I already have enough money, you know, so that that's fine. Well, you know what? I need to take care of myself. And you see that everywhere from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor, smart people, dumb people, doesn't matter your religion, doesn't matter your color, doesn't matter anything. Everybody um, can be affected by mental health issues. And for her to step up and say this one competition, yeah, it's the Olympics. It's huge. I love the Olympics. I sure. went and watched in 96. It's, it's one of my favorite things in the world. But um, mental health is more important. And I think that Simone Biles, uh, if I was her agent, 
I would be so excited because she she can retire from gymnastics now, but she can go on and be the voice of mental health for a younger generation. And I hope she seizes that because she's she is such a wonderful speaker. She is such a genuine person. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I love that woman to death. I could uh, watch her talk, watch her perform. And when she did that, it was like, that's 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 perfect her and i think that anybody who uh gives backlash that you let down your team or you know well if you're in a foxhole do you want somebody who's crazy in there no that part that part that part no no if you if you have if you're going into surgery and you see the six surgeons around and one of them is having a rough day do you want him you know taking the scalpel to you no so, you know, if, if you're if you're of the view that, well, mental health isn't important as the team or isn't important as your commitment or isn't as important as this, you know, abstract promise you made your country. Well, pull your head out of your butt. I don't know what's wrong with you. Mental health is just as important as physical health. If she broke her ankle, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So props to her. And I hope she stays in the uh in the popular culture realm for a long time and becomes the advocate for this she could well she's definitely a goat i don't think she is going anywhere soon uh it's so commendable honorable uh shows great strength so i'm on the same page as you so we have one more question this one from the fellas and this is Roderick. All right. Hey, Roger, thank you for uh, submitting your question to Down in the Den. So, Roger says, uh, okay, we, let's see, I'm sorry, I can't see the font. There we go. Uh, Since my wife has been working at home during the pandemic, she doesn't get dressed from work anymore. I see her every single day in the same sweatpants and tank top all the time, uh, all this time during the pandemic. So, I started to look at a little bit more porn to spice things up. Now when we have sets, I can barely get it up. Can porn cause ED? It, oh, it's reptile dysfunction. Can porn cause, or I, I was like, Ed, who's Ed? Uh, can uh, porn cause? Uh, yes, Ed, Ed, Ed arrived. <laughs> oh, yes, porn can definitely cause I was, I, was, I was just trying to look at Pornhub, and then Ed showed up at the door. He definitely is going to come, uh, no pun intended. So, uh <laughs> So yes, yeah, so he had apparently he's having some some issues after this uh, year and a half of listen looking at porn every day. Things in the bedroom aren't really uh, functioning like they used to. I've never heard of that, but you know maybe you can get some insight. Is yeah, that is it's that a, a huge problem? It's really a huge problem. We are seeing ED in teenage boys and men in their early 20s at rates we have never seen before. And it's almost always because of pornography to the point where it is now known as porn-induced erectile dysfunction, P-I-E-D, PIED. Um, I'll tell you, the one of the very first clients I had, and I, I did just pornography addiction with men for about two years and I've been doing betrayal trauma for about the last seven months. One of the first men who ever contacted me about the coaching, um, 
I'm going to call him Brian, not his real name, but it's what I use when I tell this story. He was 22 years old. Um, he contacted me because he had this exact problem. The only way he could get it up, and I'm guessing Roderick's probably similar, the only way he could guarantee to get it up and guarantee to finish was if he was looking at pornography. Now, his his girlfriend, uh, she was 20 years old, and I call her Whitney in this story because I have a good friend named Brian Whitney, and he hates it when I do this. Um, <laughs> and uh, with Whitney... Um, she was a nursing student. She understood addiction. She loved this guy. He was trying to get things under control. So she she didn't really have an issue with that because he was he was doing the work. However, he still had this issue. So when they would have sex, he would have to have a laptop or a cell phone or the Xbox playing, a porno DVD playing. The only way that he could finish with Whitney was if there was pornography playing in the room. After a little while, poor, uh, uh, Whitney came up with an idea, which was ingenious in some ways, in that she stayed in the living room, he stayed in the bedroom, and she would be on the laptop, he would be on his phone, and they would have a sexting session. And, you know, she'd be stripping in the bed, in the living room, and he'd be watching in the bedroom. He could get hard because of this. He could, he could get close to climaxing because his brain told him that he was watching pornography because it was on a screen. He kind of was able to short circuit his head. And when it got time for, you know, climax time, he could tell her, okay, I'm almost there, come in here. And then they could, you know, finish as normal people. And that was okay for a little while until it dawned on her, if we ever want to have a baby, we are going to have to have pornography playing in the room while it's conceived. And that's not the kind of thing you put in a baby book. Um, that's not a kind of story you share at the, at the baptism. And um, that's what really got to her. And so I worked with him for a while and, and things did improve quite a bit, but yes, erectile dysfunction goes hand in hand we're looking at too much pornography, um, and it does. You know, it and it can be just traditional pornography. It can be high-end, crazy, extreme pornography. You can have an addiction. You cannot have an addiction. Um, you know, there there is no uh, concludable data exactly why this is happening. I think it has a lot to do with the brain chemicals, the same ones that. Uh, fuel addiction like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin. I think it's the same chemicals that probably uh, make him uh, have ED as well in that, you know, it's, it, it's a how much of sex is mental. And when that mental piece gets fried, what are you going to do? You know, that's there are so many guys I've talked to who will masturbate four, six, eight hours who have porn addiction because they are just looking for that perfect piece of porn that tickles their mind in the right way. And then they can finish. But it does take that long. You know, I thank God I, I never got to that level of stuff. But I have heard from so many men who they sit down to look at porn for an hour and suddenly they look at the clock and five hours is gone. You know, that's 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 addiction. That's yeah. obsession. That's yeah. losing yourself. And the only way that they can finish, which tells them that they're satiated, 
is for five hours. So, uh, you know, maybe if he just had sex with his girlfriend for five hours, that would, you know, fix things. But you're not supposed to have have to do that. Right. You gotta pull. You gotta pull back on the pornography. I don't care if she's wearing sweatpants and and a sweatshirt. You know, figure out a way to find that sexy. Uh, buy her a sexy sweatshirt and sweatpants that you think is hot. Um, you know, there there are a million different things you can do to change things up. Have you ever just sat down and said, "I'm looking at. I'm look. I'm tending to look at some pornography because I'm not getting as revved up." Um, if you are having erectile dysfunction. Odds are she knows. Um, she may or may not know why, but don't just keep adding on to this problem. Don't dig the hole deeper. Uh, you know, first I would say talk to your doctor. This is one of the things I always say to people first. Talk to your doctor. Get a complete uh, blood panel done because this may have nothing to do with pornography. This may have nothing to do with masturbation. You may have something else entirely going on that this is just a random symptom of. Hmm. Get get the physical work done. If it turns out clean, then you got to get yourself to a therapist and start doing the mental health side of things. So guys, do the work. Take your health, mental and physical, serious. Uh, if you were having heart palpitations, you would probably go to the hospital. Yeah. So if you see something change in your sexual life or your mental being, it's all on the same level. You can't function without your mind. The body can't function without it and vice versa. So please, uh, Demates, Take your health seriously. Uh, now, this last question, and ironically, uh, a lot of these questions had something to do with the pandemic. So I think it's important and uh, and perfect that you wrote a book about that. Now, you mentioned it earlier. Tell me a little bit about your book, Porn in the Pandemic. Uh, obviously, we know the inspiration behind uh, the situation, but tell us about it and where people can find this book. Um, I saw that, I mean, first of all, you lock everybody into their house. It occurred to me, oh man, there's going to be a lot of people looking at porn. Um, and then, uh, the idea for the book came when Pornhub announced it was giving free access to its premium side of things to residents of France, Spain, and Italy. Those were the three countries that were hit hardest first. You know, we didn't really lock down until mid-May, or I'm sorry, mid-March of March. 2020. Mm -hmm. They were locking down in mid-February. And when Pornhub gave these, excuse me, when Pornhub gave this access, 62% uh, traffic increase overnight in Spain, 47% traffic increase overnight in Italy. You know, the, the, the porn use essentially doubled. And it was like, oh, this could be a big deal because if people can, I mean, you should never pay for porn. If you're paying for porn, you don't know how to use the internet. However, this is now the opportunity for people. This is the entry for people. This was so different. It got Pornhub so many headlines that I said, oh, okay, this could be something. So I started talking to my publisher, fleshing it out. And basically it just looks at how viewership uh, numbers rose greatly. It looks at the plight of porn addicts and how they were uh, trying to succeed during, or recovering porn addicts, how they were trying to succeed during the pandemic and how the ones who were two years or less, most of them fell off the wagon. Those who were two years or more like I was, most of us had been doing it long enough. We had the muscle memory that we, we didn't relapse. 
And then the other thing I did, which was probably the most interesting, was I started to look at the production of pornography and the do-it-yourself world of pornography. Uh, what's known to most people um, through uh, as the site OnlyFans, um, or even you know the cam cam sites were around before that. But in 2020, between 1 million and 1.2 million people worldwide joined OnlyFans as content creators. So what is this? This this means that, you know, all of those young people who were waiters, waitresses, bartenders, you know, these young people, usually good looking people, usually people good with customer service skills who know how to present themselves to the public. Well, they were all of a sudden out of work because we closed every service industry job. So what is the 21, 22 year old, you know, hostess who has a kid at home and, you know, a, a father that ran out who doesn't even provide support? What's she supposed to do for her kid? If she and what if she doesn't qualify for unemployment? She can't get enough unemployment. She doesn't have parents who might be able to support her. What does she have to do? She has to find a way. So a lot of these people decided to get money coming through the door. They were going to go and be models on OnlyFans. So we went from, I mean, what what did what did we probably ever have in this world? you know, back in the 70s, 80s, or 90s. A couple thousand porn stars at a single time? It, well... It's that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So now, all of a sudden, and we're using the term star very lightly, <laughs> now you all of a sudden, you add that to the 300,000 people who are already on Pornhub, or not Pornhub, uh, OnlyFans, you're now looking, January 1st, 2021, there's between 1.3 and 1.5 million producers of pornography on OnlyFans. I interviewed probably about 15, 20 of them. And what I found was that, yes, there were some who just did this for the money. That was it. Um, they were looking forward to going back to a real job. There were some who did it for the money and then couldn't believe the money. You know, people right. would be like, why am I... Why am I getting paid $16 to fold clothes at the Gap when I can sell a picture of my butt or my breasts or my package for $20 and I can sell five of them in an hour and I'm even not at the computer. This is passively making money. I actually, I work an hour a day making pictures or photos or whatever. And why am I, you know, I'm making 300 a day or 400 a day. Why am I going back to the job that I hate where I make $78 a day. Why would I do that? So I think that's one of the big reasons why you see those signs everywhere about, you know, help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. Um, I, I know that it has to do also with, you know, unemployment and people having trouble mentally going back to work. But a lot of it is that why would you go back to work? If you, you know, these are the people who are under 30. You and I, like we said, we grew up needing to find a videotape or a magazine. We grew up in a time where we were told pornography was taboo. We were grow, grew up at a time where we couldn't get our hands on it whenever we wanted. But where are we now? We are in a world where we give every 12-year-old kid the best porn computer that's ever been created on the world, known as the smartphone, and we don't give them any, you know general usage of it if you and i saw a picture of a guy and a girl going at it oh my goodness well 
you type in a couple really specific adjectives into Google and you've got three men going at it with five girls while, you know, two horses watch and a leprechaun is throwing fish sticks at them while, you know, Spanish music plays. How do you, yeah, how do you as a kid navigate that? You really, you know, you, you really can't. And, but there is something for everyone now. We're not giving anybody any direction on how to use this. You know, people listening out there need to recognize the, the don't use pornography speech for children is not the birds and bees speech. The don't use pornography speech is the don't use cigarette speech. It's the don't drink speech. It's not even the don't do drug speech. It's that, you know, in this house, we don't look at that. That's not healthy for children. When you become an adult, you can make your own decisions about that stuff. Like, I don't want you, if you see a cigarette that's lit, I don't want you to put it in your mouth. Or if you see, you know, an open beer somewhere, I don't want you to take a drink of it. Um, and I need you to let me know where you saw the beer, or where you saw the cigarette. And if, you know, you're looking at a, a tablet or your phone or, or one of your friends has one and you see naked people on it, uh, can you let me know? Um, because I want to make sure that you're safe. And you leave that at that for a for a ten year old, you're probably going to be okay. You know, you leave it at that for a nine year old. You don't need to describe pornography. It's naked people. We know what that is. Right. And and you don't need to get graphic. So um, that's a long answer for you. Um, it but, is a but good it, answer. It, and it's a... yeah. It's one of those. It's it. It has to be something we talk about in society now we're not going to be able to talk about addiction we're not going to be able to talk about dysfunction that comes from pornography you and i've been talking for a while now we have not talked about a single sex act we have not been disgusting describing what's going on you don't need to talk about the content of pornography to talk about pornography and you should recognize that 80 percent of men under 50 look at pornography at least once a month and 60% of women under 50 look at pornography against once a month. You are more abnormal if you don't look at pornography. So let's just get over ourselves and let's just recognize that um, we all are here because of sex. We're all sexual beings. Uh, being anti-sex, having no sex is just as unhealthy as being, you know, overly hypersexual. Uh, it's a, it's a spectrum and you want to be hopefully somewhere in the middle and the, the healthy part of the spectrum. Uh, that's what we need to recognize as people. We need to be able to talk about pornography. It's everywhere. These young people who I was talking about on uh, OnlyFans, they grew up in a time, um, as I was saying, that was after you and I. They don't have the same taboos. If a 12-year-old is looking at this crazy stuff, it's not a taboo. I mean, I'll admit, I've seen some weird porn. I saw some weird porn in my late 20s and 30s because the internet was proliferating. Well, I don't know what 12-year-old Josh or 13-year-old Josh would have thought if he stumbled upon a, a woman having sex with a horse. You know, that I probably, not only would I look at women differently, I'd probably look at horses differently too. And uh, it's, it's one of these things that... Uh, we are not thinking about the next generation. We're not taking care about the next generation. And when we do, when we start really paying attention to people who look at pornography too much, look at this pandemic. Because what you have, based on the interviews I did, I talked to women who, it wasn't just about the money. 
oh, well, I can't get a date in real life. And suddenly I have men sending me money and telling me how beautiful I am or how smart I am or how funny I am. Or, you know, I, I've never had a boyfriend and suddenly I've got men from around the world offering me to fly them to where they live and being with them. And yeah, I like the money, but I love people paying attention to me. I love being told I'm special. And what I heard again and again from many of these uh, young men and women is that they were getting a high. They were getting a dopamine rush. They were getting a boost from creating this pornography when they created it and put it on display or sold it they got that rush they got that brain high i truly believe that the ultimate legacy of the pandemic is going to be that we discovered not porn addiction from the uh, viewers side of things not porn addiction from the consumer side of things we recognize that there will be porn addiction from the producer side of things i believe that some of these people who discovered at 25 that they can get whatever the rush is that they need from doing this whatever the dopamine and chemicals they need they're going to be here in 20 years they're going to be 45 years old making a tenth of what they make now but not doing it for the money, doing it for that validation, that attention. They're doing it for that chemical rush. And to me, I never even considered that until I started interviewing some of these people who were going online and producing pornography, that they are getting the same thing out of making this that so many people are getting out of looking at it. And that was probably the most eye-opening piece. And I think that will be, and again, sorry for the long answer. I think that will be the ultimate legacy of the pandemic is that we learned about producers porn addiction. Well, and that is truly eye-opening. It reminds me of a line in a Jay-Z song and he talked about the rush of being in the drug game. He was getting just as high as the people he was selling to with the money and the fame and the notoriety that came with it. So it's almost identical. You hear what it does in the brain. Like you said, it's not between your legs, it's between your ears. It yeah. seems so similar to that person that took that first drink or took that first hit and something triggered in that brain. So I think you are doing great work breaking that stigma, especially with men being able to talk about it and come and, and, and women giving those stats that once again you are not the weirdo if you're looking at it uh you're actually a little bit uh you're actually normal you're you're a regular person i think breaking that stigma is the first step to just having a healthier society but joshua i don't want to take too much of your time because you're doing god's work out here so i appreciate you please tell the den mates where they can find you your website and social media details the floor is yours yeah, I've got a pretty good website up that I write. I try to write one or two articles a week talking about either recovery or uh, having the addiction. Um, I also comment about things going on in society. I was planning on writing about Simone Biles, although I, I haven't got around to it yet. Um, there are lots of resources if you think you have any issues with betrayal, trauma, or and especially porn addiction. Maybe the 12-step groups are best for you. Maybe therapy is best for you. Maybe it's rehab. Maybe it's just a coach you talk to over your computer like me. 
but there are plenty of different ways that you can get into learning about it and seeing if you have an issue if you're worried about it you need to do something about it don't get to the point i did take care of yourself and if you are interested in any of my books uh they're on amazon they're in barnes and noble any place you buy online books there are also uh links on my website um so you can get all three of them and if you're interested in any coaching, I break down both the betrayal trauma and the uh, porn addiction coaching. I do give a first 30-minute session uh, for free because if somebody is not an addict, if somebody does have something completely else going on, I don't want to charge you the first time through. And I want you to see that we click. If we don't click, I don't want your money and you shouldn't be giving it to me. Um, so that's how you can learn about the coaching. Uh, you can, that is P addict recovery.com the letter p addict recovery.com if you're interested in my instagram or twitter that is also p addict recovery.com if you just want to email p addict recovery at gmail.com perfect well, we will put all of that information on the screen and and in the links we thank you so much uh it was an intriguing conversation a very educational conversation a very necessary conversation so once again Joshua, I thank you so much for joining us here on The Den. Everybody, please follow, uh, learn about Joshua's mission. I found it personally intriguing. Um, it impacts a lot of us, uh, especially right now. So thank you again. Like I said, you're doing God's work. You're helping out a lot of uh, beautiful people. And we thank you again. Guys, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, it's your boy Mars, joined by Josh. Like, comment, subscribe, share. And uh, please give Josh a follow. He is uh, helping people one person at a time, just really helping us uh, break that stigma and learn about ourselves. So as always, thank you for joining us here at Down in the Den. Deuces. And...